0: All right, welcome back to Agency Journey. This is your host Gray McKenzie from Zen Pilot, and this week I've got the pleasure of bringing on Paris Childress, who is the CEO of Hop Online. Paris, welcome to Agency Journey. Thanks for having me, Gray. I'm super excited to dig in. So you are running a roughly 40 person uh, agency. You guys do a ton in the. Um, I, actually, I'll let I'll let you give the profile, but you you've got a background in SEO, in content, in paid acquisition, kind performance marketing. How do you describe Hop Online when folks ask you, like, hey, give me the quick profile of the agency?
1: Yeah. Well, in a nutshell, we are a performance agency for SaaS businesses, primarily B2B SaaS. And that encompasses paid media management. A lot of that is on Google and paid social. And also what we describe as organic growth services, which encompasses SEO, content marketing, email marketing, a little bit of account based marketing. And also conversion rate optimization. So it is in a in a sense, it is a full service, but we generally divide the teams into the paid media and then the organic, organic growth.
0: Yeah. It says, how do you decide when to add a new service? Like CRO, I would assume, is one of the maybe not, but I would assume that's one of the newer services. And ABM is probably yeah. like the other one from from what you shared that, like, hey, these yeah. are probably two of the more recent ones. How do you decide when to attack on a new service?
1: I think it has to do with client need more than anything. And also with the sense of where where the industry is going. So with, with CRO, it was more about client need. And in some cases you have this feeling that if if I'm am not able to provide a solution to this client for this service that they're asking for, it might go somewhere else and that other agency might also offer some of the stuff we're offering and put us under a little bit of pressure. So part of, for CRO, it was a little bit more client-driven. For ABM, it was more market-driven, I'd say, because I really feel that for all B2B lead-gen marketing, I think ABM now really is the answer. And I know that it's it's difficult, but we as an agency, we have to get good at that. So that's that's more of a market-driven need yeah. for ABM.
0: That makes sense. What are, are you guys using Terminus, or what's what does that tech stack look like on the ABM side?
1: Uh, right now, it's well. We we use remarketing so a little bit. It's driven by the client. So sure. Zoom Info is a popular tool that a couple of clients have, and of course we use LinkedIn as well. LinkedIn ads and and remarketing there. But other than that, we don't. We haven't really built out much of a tech stack for pure ABM just yet.
0: Right, right. That makes sense. So B two B SaaS. How did you wind up in that vertical? I, I know there's some what we what we market to like on the front door and what we yeah. accept in the back door is not always a hundred percent, you know, we market hardcore yeah. to marketing agencies and then we work with a number of other uh, teams, professional service providers as well. Um, yeah. But how, how did you wind up in that vertical?
1: Well, um, it was about probably four or so years ago, I think 2019 when we realized that our top two or three clients, the ones that not only were driving the, the most revenue and the best margins, but also the ones that our teams really enjoy working on the most that we were getting the best results for were SaaS businesses. And I always had a hunch even back then that we needed to niche down more. And at least we needed to position ourselves publicly and we needed to market to a unique audience, regardless of whether we would accept clients from other, other verticals, which we still do. And so we made the decision then that we wanted to try to reposition the agency for SaaS. I think in the last few years, that has gotten a little bit crowded and there's almost now a need to go one level deeper uh, within a few different verticals. But we still are primarily focused on SaaS businesses and all of our marketing, including our podcast, we try to speak to SaaS marketers. But realistically, Gray, I think half, uh, nearly half of our clients are not SaaS companies. Yeah. Right, and that comes from just from inbound that uh, leads that come inbound, and they come from also referrals. So we do take a lot of that business if we think we can help them, and it's a it's a good fit.
0: Right, we're so inbound. I know that you do some speaking, um, and I want to bring up a talk that you gave a little bit later here today, but. Um, What else? I mean, is it like a lot of SEO and content on your own site? Um, What what does inbound look like? Or is it mostly network? Like, Where do most of those inbound Mm -hmm. leads
1: come from? Yeah. Well, we get a fair amount from our website. We we try to blog pretty regularly. We always want to get better at that. There is now a fair amount of LinkedIn activity contributing to inbound. It's not always easy to attribute that perfectly, but that could come from... Someone who, who winds up on our website, who initially saw us on LinkedIn, or maybe has caught caught the podcast. But we do try to ask. The, the qualitatively, we ask them when when we had that first discovery call. How did you hear about us? How did you find us? And the the responses are very interesting. Some people say we found you on a list on a listicle, and I always want to know what, what what was that? Where is that? And and I'll try to Google it and figure out where it's ranking. Uh, other people will say, we've, we've heard of you, or we were doing some Google searches, and then I want to understand what keywords they were using. So you have to still dig deep to really attribute the source of inbound, um, And but, but these are these are still the best leads as well. They typically have the highest closing rate and the fastest sales cycle.
0: For sure. You, we didn't mention the name of the podcast. It's Paris Talks Marketing, right? Your podcast?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
0: And you said you're 140 episodes plus into this thing over the last couple of years. Um, Right. What's the strat? Because I know that there's a lot of other uh, agency owners or agency podcasters who listen to Agency Journey. Uh, So this is a selfish question for me and also for uh, some folks who I know are tuning in. What's your approach with the podcast? Because I feel like there's a couple of different tiers of ways to go. One is, you know, hey, I want to invite you on because I actually want to work with you. Um, one is I yeah. want to invite, invite you on because I want to be seen as being in the same tier that you operate in. Um, uh, so it's kind of like mm-hmm. trying to position ourselves, punch above our, our weight class a little bit. There's a, there's a bunch of different approaches, but what's the, what's your approach or kind of the business plan behind the podcast? Kind of given the fact that yeah. I'm sure for you, like for me, a lot of the podcast is just like, Hey, this is fun. And this is interesting for me. So I want to have on people who I just want to talk to regardless of the business strategy.
1: Yeah, You know, great. It's a mix of all, all those things I'd say. Uh, up until now, historically, we have not targeted folks that we necessarily want to work with, although a lot of the guests are from really awesome SaaS companies. And we we do, sometimes it happens naturally, but that's not really our aim. I think we probably could do a little bit more of that. I think it's a good idea. And in fact, Jason Swank, I was on recorded for his show, the, the Agency Mastermind, recently and he also gave me that advice that I, I could be doing a little bit more of that. But really, the, the second thing that you mentioned is uh, more about p- punching above the weight class and associating our brand with those other brands and kind of elevating our brand, hopefully, by having these conversations and getting these people on the show. So we've, had, we've we had the COO of ClickUp on a couple of years, maybe a year and a half ago. We've had the SVP of marketing. From HubSpot on the show. And these were, these are probably the biggest wins. And I think that helps also for the SaaS community to see that we're we're driving the conversation with thought leaders at that level. Um, the last thing that I'll mention is kind of to your point, this is probably the most fun that I have on any given week is getting getting onto the show and having a great discussion and, and learning things and opening my own thinking about certain aspects of the business that I probably never would have done, even from speaking to clients or speaking to our team or reading blogs or newsletters in the industry. I think conversations have a way of giving me a clarity of thought like no other source can. So selfishly, that's that's probably still the number one reason why I've stuck with it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think that's helpful to know. I think that's one of the keys to keeping anything going. You know, the vast majority of podcasts, just like anything else, die out, you know, before they hit 20 episodes. Um, if it's not fun for you, if it's not interesting, it's gonna be really hard, regardless of the business outcomes, to keep up the momentum with it.
1: Yeah. I'll also mention one other thing that I think for agencies that are listening, it's important also to build a personal brand. And that's one of my goals with Paris Talks Marketing. And one of the reasons we gave it that name was to also try to build my personal brand so that it can also elevate our company brand. And, and there can be a, a closer association between me and, and the company. And I, I've seen a lot of inbound leads now that have come, it feels like they've come more through the personal brand and that's a gateway to the agency brand. And then they see what the agency's all about and then they wanna get in touch. So personal branding, I think for agency owners and CEOs is now very, very important. I think it's hard to yeah. hide behind a curtain, so to speak, and, and just be an operator, I think. It's really an imperative now to get yourself out there, and and create a personal brand for yourself.
0: So I kind of wrestle with that because I have a desire. Like on our, we run on EOS at ZenPilot, and our on our so the Vision Traction Organizer is like the you know basically the the two pager business two pager that it's just EOS parlance for for what that looks like. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: we share that with our whole team. What's our you know what's our ten year target and what's our three year um, you know, kind of what, is, what does that three-year picture look like? And on that three-year picture at Zen Pilot, one of the things on there is that myself and Andrew, my business partner, are like the the business doesn't rely on us for day-to-day operations in mm-hmm. you know, within three years. And so I wrestle with like I want to be able to have the anonymity or have the may not anonymity, but I want the business to be able to run without us, mm-hmm. uh, tied to exactly what you just said, which is the biggest unfair advantage that we have as founders is. Putting our name out there in the market, people will always associate you know, or give yeah. a l- lend a little extra credibility to you when it's the founder speaking than than a marketer speaking. Um, and so, if we want to lean into, you could do it without it. But the biggest yeah. unfair advantage that we have is the fact that we are founders. And I think that's a really good yeah. point. And like, that's a, a key reason why I think um, founders and leaders at companies should actually be a big piece of the face. You know, if, if you want to have the most efficient yeah. growth possible.
1: Yeah, I I think what you said is really interesting because my goal also is to be able to get myself out of the business and for the business to run effectively without me. And I think the distinction for me is that I really want to get myself out of sales. (laughs) And when I think of getting myself uh, operationally out of the business, it really, I've already gotten myself out of all all of our projects and and the the delivery side of the business runs completely um, according to the systems that we've set up but I'm still heavily involved in sales. And that's one of the things that I still don't really like is that I do know that I can swoop in as as a CEO and founder and increase our win rates significantly. But we've got now a sales team and we're trying to build that up and I need to let them eventually build the capability. So when I think about having the business run without me, I think mostly that sales, uh, uh, delivery needs to run without me. It continues to do that. Sales needs to be able to run without me. But I can still be the, the face of the company from a marketing perspective. And right. I can still I can still create content and go on speaking gigs and have my name and my face out there to benefit everything else that's happening. And I think that's really the ideal place that I'd like to be, is to be not 50% on sales and, and 30% marketing and 20% ops, but more like 80% marketing, 20% uh, maybe just strategy, let would say. Right. Right. Ideally,
0: I think that's, I think it's a really good distinction. Um, You still do it like you're kind of an individual contributor on the marketing side and the business isn't reliant on you, but you can keep running that podcast. Mm -hmm. That's not, those two things are not actually conflicting, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned ClickUp and you guys were relatively early to the, to the ClickUp train. Um, How did you come across ClickUp originally?
1: You know, I I think it was a client that was using ClickUp. Yeah, that's what it was. There was a client that was using ClickUp. We were on Asana. Yeah. And they said, hey, well, we use ClickUp. We'd really like you to come over and join us on our ClickUp. And when the client says that, you kind of have to say yes. (laughs) And that was our first introduction to ClickUp. And then we dug a little bit deeper. And that was in 2020, I think. And one of the things that always annoyed me a little bit about Asana was that I had to get another time tracking tool and bolt it on. And we, we do time tracking per, pretty religiously at our agency. And the first thing I noticed was that ClickUp had built-in time tracking. So I said, oh, well, that's, that's a big plus. Let me take a look. And I wasn't that serious at that time of really moving out of Asana because I thought the switching costs were gonna be a nightmare. But then I saw, um, well, at that time, I think the pricing has Im- increased, but they were they were priced at about half of Asana's price per seat and with time tracking. And from what I could tell, they had everything that Asana had from a project management tool standpoint, and even some extras like they had Gantt charts. They had the uh, they had these uh, the different they had the hierarchy structure. I think that gave a lot more flexibility than even Asana did. So then I started to imagine what would it look like if we really tried to move all over from Asana. And then a few months later, we decided that we were gonna we were gonna go for it. Actually, that's when we found you guys too, because we started looking for. A little bit of help in that area. And you all certainly uh, popped up immediately when we started looking. And we never looked back. Really don't don't regret that move at all. And ClickUp has just continued to get better and better over the years. And now 3.0, I, I just got on 3.0. And it's amazing. I'm, I'm having a blast with that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So I remember at that point in our business, so we probably got connected towards the end of 2020. Um, I don't remember. I, don't rem- I should have looked it up. To know exactly where it was um probably that was when things started to shift for us a little bit but up until that point and even throughout 2020 probably 80 percent of our clients were folks who were agencies looking for help operationally with project management and we were introducing them to click up you know as hey hmm. we've got this platform that we you know think you should use here let me share why i think this is superior to asana or whatever and um and the folks who are willing to kind of take the jump and kind of bet on working with us and move to ClickUp, that was the the vast majority of the business that has since switched. And so you were one of the few folks who were coming in who were like, Hey, we already know about ClickUp. Um, you know, we, we want to, we want to do this and we just want to work with yeah. uh, you know, whoever can help us get the most out of it in an agency yeah. uh, context. Um, so that's, that's yeah. fun to talk to people who are the early adopters and who are like, Hey, you just yeah, yeah. ahead, of, ahead of most
1: you know, I just remembered something too that's pretty cool. Great! What hooked me on ZenPilot was that you all you all did I think a co co hosted webinar with ClickUp and you introduced the account dashboard, which I think still a, it's a really a centerpiece for what we do. Just this amazing dashboard with a bird's eye view into our whole portfolio with a lot of detail, and that was uh, I think that was what hooked us to want to talk to you all after watching that webinar. Mm. And That's it's awesome. still uh, still a, a great a great thing that we've got in uh, in ClickUp.
0: Yeah, and you guys have taken it quite a bit farther in terms of building out kind of the full CRM in the inside yeah. ClickUp. Is, so, are you using the, your CRM that you have built in ClickUp? Is that the entire CRM? You're not plugged into HubSpot or PipeDrive or anything else as well?
1: We're not. We moved we moved off of HubSpot, and also something that I was very very worried about that migration and the switching costs, but it turned out to be pretty seamless really so we moved that was probably about a little less than a year ago so our entire crm is in ClickUp, and also i don't regret that decision i think it's for agencies that are listening and considering doing it i think the biggest benefit is when you have like our agency you have a lot of people that are not re- directly responsible for sales but that are involved in sales sometimes it's like selling by committee where I can pull in our head of PPC to do some keyword research and a forecast for a prospect that's going to get presented. So the ability to connect sales deals to tasks in ClickUp and the ability to plug in everyone at the agency into into sales and give them full visibility, that's really powerful because then you can effectively really harness everybody in the agency much more for sales. That's the number one reason why I don't regret moving over to ClickUp. As a pure CRM, uh, you do make there are some trade-offs. Uh, that whole that trinity of of contact organization and deal, you don't have quite that same setup. Um, you don't have, it's harder to, to have a contact database that you can quickly go into and export, export out of. But we pretty much have replicated the flow of, of the deal flow, which is basically we have a warm lead, then we have discovery. From discovery, it moves to needs proposal. And that's where it lives as long as it's being negotiated. When we close, close one, close lost, postponed. So we've, we've replicated the uh the sales flow and the sales funnel pretty well in click up. And then inside every deal is a task, basically, and the subtasks are the actual to-dos of the of the deal. Right. And then everything else goes in, lots of custom fields. And um, I, I don't see us moving off of that anytime soon now.
0: Yeah. I love it. Um, I know we're going to do uh another mar- co marketing piece together around what that looks like and I'm excited to dig in deeper into how you guys have built that out in our internal kind of clickup crm. We are using those th- we are using uh deals, companies and contacts. Um so I love seeing kind of what how other people are building out on it and what they're what they're using across the three the three pieces. Um so I've got a whole bunch that we could nerd out on there. But I wanted to talk about this um, conference that you did in Athens. And you were talking about kind of the demise of third-party cookies. Uh, you talked about acquisition strategy and like, how does that change? Um, and agencies. And um, maybe you could bring it in. I think all of that also has a tie-in to a product that you guys have built. So um, we could, we kind of talk about that from either perspective. But how many... Event, well, I guess I'm... I'm a, selfishly also curious as we look at our event strategy for next year how often are you going out and speaking at events is that intentional is there like a plan for the year or is that kind of more opportunistic uh,
1: it's a little more opportunistic but i still want to be going out and speaking on average once per quarter yeah so for about four times a year i think from a pure travel perspective like i don't think i could do it once a month if, if i really made more of an effort i could probably apply to a lot of other Conferences and, and probably get it up to once a month, but that would be a little bit too hard. I mean, I mean personally. So I think once a quarter is a good cadence. And I believe I've been kind of sticking to that over the last couple of years post post COVID, I'd say during during COVID. It wasn't clearly. Um, yep. But speaking speaking engagements are yeah, probably the best real way to build the personal brand get visibility. I think it's the best one to many. Uh, audience opportunity that you can get still so once a quarter is 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 the goal more or less
0: yeah that makes sense where has i mean is it from those from conversations at conferences or the podcast that kind of your interest and um the work that you've done in ai and machine learning like has that come from those kinds of connections or where does that come from and maybe talk a little bit about what that looks like and what you guys are building
1: yeah sure well i'll start with the problem that i think the marketing digital marketing industry at large isn't quite fully prepared for as well as agencies and that is the demise of third party cookies and this has been some, this has been a can that google has been kicking down the road for a few years and been postponing it multiple times and now the new date is 2024 it's probably going to be this, the beginning of q4 so we're we're one year out from the demise of third party cookies and most people listening probably know that third-party cookies are a way of tracking people at the browser level, primarily in Chrome, so that you can target them individually based on their browsing history. And it's an extremely powerful tool that has been the ma- one of the major drivers of return on ad spend probably for the last 15 or maybe even 20 years in digital marketing since since the beginning. And I think people don't fully appreciate how, how influential that little cookie is. When that goes away, uh, Google has other plans, something called Privacy Sandbox, and that might work eventually okay, but I think that there's going to be a window where there's going to be a massive loss of signal. And in order to preserve return on ad spend, advertisers, particularly those that are spending good amounts with Google primarily, if they don't supplement that data loss with something else, then they're their return on ad spend potentially could tank. And what they need to substitute that with is their, their own first-party data. And so we have been strong proponents for the last year, maybe year and a half, of trying to work with clients not only to optimize their, their advertising in the platforms, but to, but to get their first-party data and bring that first-party data into the platforms. So it's more important, I think, in the years ahead to be able to understand how to craft a first party data strategy for clients and bring data that Google doesn't have into Google as opposed to being a a black belt at optimizing inside of the platforms. So that's a little bit of the preface. What we're building right now is something called PLTV. It's a data science solution and it's based on machine learning on first party data. It stands for predictive lifetime value, PLTV. And we have spun that out of the agency now because we also wanna work with agencies to deliver this solution to their clients. So we have a separate brand and we've got the site pltv.ai. And what this does is effectively uses machine learning on first party data that's aggregated into a data warehouse to predict the future lifetime value of a new acquisition pretty much right at the moment of them being acquired. And at the moment, meaning somewhere between say, 24 to 72 hours so we're taking data that we're taking zero party data that they uh that gets captured as they're converting in forms and in the onboarding journeys we're taking behavioral data for how they use the product we're getting other geographic demographic data and we're we're trying to crunch as much as we can very very quickly at that point of acquisition so that we can get a predictive ltv and feed that back to to google right now mostly we're working with google The reason why PLTV matters is that that can become a conversion event for value-based bidding. Value-based bidding is bidding on target return on ad spend, which is how e-commerce has been doing it probably for the last 10 or 15 years. We want to bring this solution to SaaS marketers who have fixed recurring revenue streams, but they have a very difficult time knowing what what is my CAC, what is my CAC ceiling, because I don't know the, the lifetime value and I'm optimizing. I should be optimizing towards LTV to CAC. And my investors want my LTV to CAC to be three to one or better. So I know what my CAC is, obviously, but I don't know LTV. So we're trying to help companies with recurring revenue predict LTV at the point of acquisition so that they can lock in LTV to CAC ratios and they can optimize for that with their ad spend. And it's, it's been tough. It's, it's a lot of uh, testing. Google has been very supportive themselves, and they're really behind us. Uh, this particular solution has what's given me a lot of speaking opportunities at Google events. And we're still in the early testing days. We've got mixed results. But I believe that when cookies finally sunset next year, I think people are going to be scrambling, including agencies, for these first, first-party data solutions. Not only this, but a whole lot of other first-party data solutions. So we're trying to get out ahead of that curve a little bit. Sometimes I feel like we're still a bit too early on this. but. I think uh, I think we're heading in the right direction with, with PLTV.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, obviously, the agency piece—I would assume agencies would want to use the PLTV uh, platform, especially as we get closer and closer um, to kind of the deadline of what's happening to third-party cookies here. Um, is it so? Is that a white like an agency white-labeled solution, or are they running it through the platform? How do you anticipate that playing out?
1: Uh, I think long term, we're imagining this as a white label solution that get, becomes productized. Mm. We haven't fully gotten there yet. So right now, we're partnering with agencies, and we are working with their clients as well. And and yeah. they're introducing us to their clients. And we have a clear, uh, a clear agreement that under no circumstances would we ever work with those clients for any advertising services or any other agency services. Right. So there's there's that guarantee. But I do envision this to be a white label service in the future, which is more plug and play, maybe even API driven. That could be a SaaS product in its own right.
0: Right. So I think targeting agencies makes a lot of sense to me um, as kind of like, hey, here's the the go-to-market channel. How much, uh, I mean, you mentioned the golden ratio earlier and kind of LTV um, to CAC and what's your, obviously, your payback period ties into that as well. What... Yeah. Um, uh, are you going through any VCS or other like does that make any sense for you as a channel as well?
1: We have talked to a few VCS yeah um, we haven't gotten too much traction but I, I still think that's a viable go to market channel we really think about the go to market as three three potential channels now one would be direct to not only SaaS businesses but also any other type of uh, even b2c e-commerce subscription, subscription right. e-commerce businesses. So there's a direct route, there's the agency route, and then there's also the VC route. And we're exploring all three, but right now, what seems to be make the most sense is agencies, because one of the reasons is because we, as an agency ourselves, we know the pain points. I, I feel the most confident speaking to agencies about this. And most of the agencies I speak to have at least one or two clients where they they think, yeah, we've got the volume of, Conversion data, we've got the ad spend required. And this is a business where either we plateaued or we're starting to see some degradation in the return on ad spend. And we need some innovation. We want to bring something new to the client. And so I do, I do um I have the most confidence that 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 is going to be our primary go-to-market. But we're just, we're going to leave all the doors open also right. for the other two.
0: Right. So here it goes. That's amazing. Well, the site is pltv.ai. We'll make sure it's in the show notes as well. Um, I would imagine there'll be plenty of questions around like, how does this actually work under the surface? You know, like wh- how how in the world can we predict what LTV looks like? Um, but I definitely see the the market opportunity th- for that. Let me, um, so I'm going to switch gears here as we wrap up. And Paris, I have two questions for you that are wanted by you. you. Um, one is, uh, I'm going to ask you the, our last question that I ask everybody is, what's your number one tip for agency operators? But before we get to that one, um, where, so other than the conversations that you're having, how are you primarily uh, learning, ingesting data? Like where do, where do all these ideas come from? Is it podcasts, books, like what, what's, what drives your learning cycle?
1: Number one, is podcasting, both doing the interviewing and also coming on as, as a guest and listening to shows like yours, by the way, I'm a big fan of Of the agency journey podcast, I've been listening for a couple of years. Never miss an episode. To me, that's the easiest way to consume the the content that I need to consume because I can do it pretty much anywhere. And other than that, I used to read blogs, but I I don't really do that anymore. I just have moved away from that. I'm I'm still on a couple of newsletters, but I'd say podcast is the number one source for me to feel like I'm staying on top on top of things. And and then even some of the events that I attend to uh, that I attend co- conversations that I have with folks there um, and I'd say maybe even a third way which is through the natural sales process getting on discovery calls you know, probably for every every new client that we win there's there's five six seven other really good discovery calls that I've had and and I get to do several of those per week and just the questions uh, the Q&A there, it's, I, I get a lot of great insight there. I see how people are struggling and how, how they're thinking about about the industry.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, well, bring us home with this. What's your number one tip for agency operators?
1: The number one tip that I have for you all is hire a data scientist if you haven't already. Really think about this. I think the for performance agencies especially, uh, and as this third party cookie demise is, is coming closer and closer, you could even argue that a lot of us are slowly becoming commoditized the service of managing Google ads, Facebook ads, LinkedIn it's and, and with the advent of AI now and genitive AI getting more and more to share that work, performance agencies are going to need to pivot into into data science I believe and this solution solutions around helping clients, leverage their data better for marketing, these are going to be the reasons why folks are hiring performance marketing agencies one year, two years out from now. So if you haven't already or haven't pulled the trigger, I'd say hire a data scientist, even if you have to really explain to that person what digital marketing is all about from the very beginning, like we did. I think it's a good long, long-term investment.
0: That is uh, the first time that that's been offered as a tip. And that's a great one. I think uh I don't even think it's just agencies. I think like the amount of data that we deal with uh on a day-to-day basis, um, there's so many, so many different spaces where that's a great recommendation. So this has been awesome. Uh Paris, I need to let you go. Uh, because you are uh in the middle of a trip right now. But thank you so much for coming on and joining me on agency journey. This has been a blast.
1: Same here, great. Thanks for having me.